How do multifamily owners retain renters and increase net operating income? Well, we're on a journey to find out. You're listening to Menetize or Die, tactics and strategies from the front lines of multifamily. I'm your host, Scott Patterson, Marine Corps veteran, founder of Tumble Smart Laundry, on a mission to increase NOI through your shared laundry experience. Today, we're very fortunate to have Rishi Kostla from To Be Living. Uh, so welcome, welcome to the show, Rishi. Thanks so much for having me. Great to be here. Yeah. And so what's, what's your role at, at 2B? Just tell, tell me a little bit about yourself and the, uh, and the portfolio here. We'll jump right in. Absolutely. So um, I am a chief marketing officer at 2B Living, uh, one, of, um, one of the partners here at the company. We uh, have been in business for about 10 years, and we manage uh, a host of different kinds of properties from single family homes all the way up to um, 200 unit uh, complexes that span entire city blocks. Uh, Location wise, we're in Oakland, we're in San Francisco, uh, we're along the peninsula in the South Bay, and also even the East Bay. So we kind of cover the whole geography of the Bay Area. it started about 10 years ago uh, with my partner, Brooks, and uh, I joined uh, a little less than five years ago and uh, with another partner, and we've just been rock and rolling ever since, just kind of very organically growing the business. Um, it started off in the very beginning stages of, you know, kind of whatever whatever business was available that, that kind of Brooks could get his hands on was, was coming in the door. Uh, the very first piece of business was a single family home. Uh, and then as we sort of got more sophistication, uh, in, in our business model, as, uh, we got more entrenched in the community, um, a lot of single family home, uh, small operators, uh, started talking to a lot of their, you know, friends or colleagues or buying more of their own larger assets and wanting us to bring a lot of that same kind of small mom and pop level, uh, quality of service that you tend to get at a small scale company to larger, bigger projects. And so um, we, uh, we got, uh, we got an offer to, to start working with a 20 unit building and 25 unit building. And, and then it was a, a launching building from scratch where we had to lease it up uh, when there was no one there and it was still under construction and then it just kind of kept growing and growing from there. Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, what, one of the really interesting parts about the 2B story is starting off in single family rentals, uh, mm-hmm. and, you know, your houses that are out there, um, and moving into multifamily sort of, and making that transition. Cause typically the way that you manage those types of properties are usually fairly different and without kind of the rise of prop tech in the last, what, 10, 15 years, probably, um, that, that, it's kind of unheard of to manage a whole portfolio of single family rentals in the same way you would multifamily. So how did you, how did you make that jump and, and use some of those techniques and, and what does that look like in the, in the early stages? Yeah. So it, just like in any new startup company, uh, when you're, you're in a, in a reasonably crowded space and trying to create differentiation and you're not, you're not a deep SaaS product um, in in and of itself. Uh, you, you gotta you gotta find ways to be you know to have points of differentiation. And so for us, our differentiation in those early days 
it was all about our customer service. This industry is not well known for being one that is has tons of loyalty, tons of uh, uh, care about the tenant experience, tons of um, uh, focused elements on tenant retention. Uh, it just doesn't exist. It's 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 a little bit more of a of a commodity based business, frankly. Um, and from those early days, I mean, I wasn't I wasn't in the room with with Brooks, but I've kind of helped be one of the voices that's helped shape the message since I've been around. That uh, was like the, these are not this is not how it has to be. Like there's there's a different way to to care about these tenants and to care about their experience. This is the biggest check they write. This is the most important thing where that uh, they care about. Um, we can we can do this better. So so it always started with just diving in with with customer service and caring a lot about the tenants and then caring a lot about the, the team here at To Be Living. Um, we have employee number two still works at To Be Living. You know, as a property manager, uh, we are or we run sort of best places to work every year um, for. Uh, past couple of uh, years in the San Francisco Bay Area Business Times Awards because we just, we, we dive into caring about our people. So when you're a small company, you can, you can care about your people, care about your product and grow organically. Enough people will, will have enough faith and, and interest in your abilities and confidence in what you can execute, especially at the leadership level. But as you start to grow into larger buildings and more sophisticated clients, institutional clients, et cetera, you have to have better systems. You have to have a better foundation. You have to be able to um, build upon a, a, a very stable, solid foundation. So then you can really kind of grow this uh, well. And that's what the challenges of this year, this year is all about really taking that, that leap forward from um having a, a solid, great place to work that, that all the employees love and care about and taking that to a place where uh, it can scale. Uh, it's approaching 100 employees. We're, we're hoping that, you know, we're going to be getting beyond that very quickly. It's approaching 3,000 units. We're going to get in, be getting beyond that very quickly. And um, how do you make sure that you continue to have a company that has the core values of a company that was only managing one single family home? And had one had our founder doing all the all the work with um, a handful of, of people helping him uh, along the way. Right, absolutely. And and so what what does that look like um, on the two B side? You know, so you, you're you're across different sort of portfolio sets, right? Across different classes of properties. How do you keep that core and that sort of resident first mindset? Um, that sort of have, has differentiated y'all from the the very get go. Um, as you start to scale out, and you know, you go from you know ten employees to hundred employees mm -hmm. to three thousand units. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So um, so far for us, we've been doing the best job we can do to have a a flat leadership organization with a healthy director team that does a great job carrying the, the, the vision down from, um, from the executive team to everybody else. But it still has this fundamental flat element. 
we find that the fewer layers of management that have to be there between, um, you know, uh, uh, CEO to, to administration, um, the better. And we look at our property management efforts and we look at the way that we, we run this business really more as legs of a stool frankly like you can't you can't have a property performing well if the leasing team leg doesn't work can't have it performing well if the property operations team stinks can't have it performing well if um the accounting team can't do can't do their functions uh by keeping all of this uh in-house as much as possible um we do still sort of believe in a, in a local model of hiring as much as possible um we kind of get some abilities to row in the right direction it it does sometimes mean profitability is compromised a bit it does sometimes mean that uh, it's a bit harder to to find uh, ways to achieve scale but i would rather have those challenges uh facing us than the challenge of building like you know just a, a focus of building a huge company that doesn't sort of care about how they get there along the way right and and it and you start to look for those things that you can kind of offload off of your plate right so that's right uh, you know it's so labor and property management in general can can be very labor intensive um, absolutely so the i you know i know you guys use um some inspection technology that helps you kind of scale obviously you guys use tumble uh, to, uh, get those, get those laundry rooms, uh, taken off your hands. What other yep. sort of amenities are you implementing to not only make your lives easier, um, as you scale your team and, and keep to those core values, but also, um, make sure that your residents are, are getting that best experience in not having turnover and, and that type of thing. Absolutely. So, so yeah, we've talked about, about sort of the service side. Now, as you think about the, the technology side, it has, it has two components, right? There's sort of the, the internal property side of how do we make sure that we're running our properties uh, right internally uh, for our clients. And then there's sort of the external technologies. What prop tech are we investing in? What prop tech are we utilizing to um, enhance our resident experience uh, to, to not so much with the effort of, or sorry, with the intention of minimizing the, the tenant phone calls or, you know, the, the touch points to our tenants to care about, you know, feeling like they have a, a real human that that's there for them as a, in, a, in the property manager, but really more to just make the, make the experience just fundamentally better. Um, if they have access to, um, you know, to, to laundry services that runs uh, faster, easier, cheaper, better uh, than uh, what they what they had dealt with currently, or gets or have repairs that get done quicker than what they've dealt with currently. If they have um, access to uh, you know a car that's waiting for them in the driveway because we you know we have partnerships to get around. If they have access to EV charging because we figured out how to you know make sure we have. Uh, uh, EV spots uh, available in, in buildings where we, you know, the property owners can afford to install it. Um, 
we just sort of keep chipping away at the at the things that residents care about and also sort of maintain an element of um, efficiency from a cost perspective for them. Um, sometimes it's not just about throwing the amenity at the wall to see what sticks. It's, it's a little bit more of like, you know, will people use this? Will they care? And we don't get it right every single time. Um, we tried, we've tried this service that, um, puts a little, uh, uh, little like mini, they call it like a mini Seven Eleven. It's like a little kiosk that's filled with snacks uh, in lobbies. And we had this thought that, you know, this would be a really cool thing because people wouldn't have to go walk down the convenience store to go get their, um, you know, their, their Doritos and their M&Ms. They could just walk downstairs, tap their credit card and, and, you know, go for it. Well, it was great in theory, but, but, the reality sort of was that, you know, the little mini bag of Doritos ended up costing five bucks. And so at the end of the day, like, who cares? Yeah. Like, they're just, they're yeah. not gonna, they're not gonna go for that. Like, why would you bother? Um, yeah. You know, I'm not gonna pay $4 for, for, for a candy bar. Like, I mean, it, they're just, it's not, it's not fundamentally cheaper uh, or even a little bit more expensive, um, but way more convenient. It was like two, three X in terms of what it costs. And we were paying to put the box in the, in the lobby. So we were even eating up real estate space. So, so not everything works, but, um, but we, but we, and, and, you know, this is really kind of one of my things personally here at TV living is, is constantly trying to find tech uh, or find systems that will make their, the residents lives go better. Um, and then on the on the property operation side, you mentioned the inspections. Uh, yeah, I mean, one as you have a distributed set of buildings across an, a, a distributed geography, um, we're not managing one five hundred unit you know property here, where where a group of people can can take on sort of all the all the elements of the property and internalize it and kind of run the show you know day to day. Where we have a like we said, single family homes, multi-unit buildings, a whole host of different of different types of properties. How are we going to figure out how to make sure that we know where every boiler is, every gas meter, every water heater, every um, shutoff valve, every garden hose? I mean, how do it's 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 a very hard effort. And when you talk about an older building or a legacy building, that is a um, a manual process that we have to, you know, find the time to be able to do. So, yeah, by having inspection processes that are better dialed in, by having uh, SOPs that are written about where to go for data and where to, you know, where to get information uh, within the, for the property and our sort of internal databases, uh, the better we're going to be able to be when it comes to running these portfolios and, and handling our day to day. Yeah, I mean, so one of one of the things that's really interesting uh, is sort of the idea of over amenitization, right? Like throwing throwing the the house, the kitchen bucket, you know, putting a beachfront property essentially in the middle of the city. Like, um, so one one of your partners has actually talked a lot about this sort of publicly and how you know it sort of drives up rent in the wrong direction. It leaves kind of a middle market wide open. Um, so how how should multifamily go about figuring out what what are renters' preferences like more often than just maybe surveying 
some people once a year? Like what, what, how do you? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. I'm, um, so, so I, I completely agree with that philosophy, by the way, I, uh, there, there is definitely an over amenization to buildings, um, developers who are building sort of key assets for themselves that are sort of flagship to them, to their, uh, to their portfolio, um, uh, sometimes have this this race to amenitize, thinking that it will drive it will drive leasing velocity, and it it tends to have an effect on the launch and lease up in the very beginning of the building when concessions that can be provided to tenants uh, can sort of be be artificially lower than the market rent that needs to be charged for the building and i can i can explain that slower if it doesn't make sense but but um essentially if you you know if your build costs are a certain are, are a certain number and that's inclusive of all the amenities that you're going to put into the building you know you have to be able to charge a certain amount of rent to be able to make this whole thing worthwhile um but then you launch the building and, and it goes online and then all of a sudden uh, it might have these, you know, these, these great concessions to basically drive traffic and get, uh, get the building filled ASAP, uh, which is also very important. Of course, every developer, when they've, you know, just poured, you know, $30 million into opening something, they have to show themselves and their investors. They've got to get that early cash flow. They got to get that early cash flow. They got to be able to show to everybody uh, that they, you know, they didn't, um, they didn't make any mistakes and then they sort of want to get to the refinance as quickly as possible and, and stabilize and then you know their takeout financing so they can afford to um carry the thing for the long term and so um we we try to work with uh partners that are interested in taking in our feedback uh really early in the construction phase it's it's very good when developers and property managers start working together as early as possible to, to talk about what residents truly care about. And um, what we have found consistently through talking to our residents uh, is that they, they like the idea of having uh, amenities close or nearby or, or at the property. Um, of course, it's great that there's a gym in the building. Of course, it's great when uh, there's a, a laundry on site. Of course, it's great this of course it's great that but then it has to be paired with uh, a good uh, financial incentive to make it worth doing when those two things don't align uh, it tends to not matter uh, the gym for example if the gym is um, you know the gy gyms are most often free at buildings and they sort of have this expectation that's sort of baked in the rent and you're paying for it, you know, through your rent. But then what ends up happening is that building owners often don't uh, seek to take care of it, upgrade it, maintain it, um, listen to the residents about the kinds of machines that they'd want. They made guesses at the lease up, phase, I'm sorry, at the construction phase on what um, what residents will would probably want. Oftentimes, I've talked to developers, they, they base it off of what how they like to work out, <laughs> what they like to do. Yeah, and so like, well, I run, so let's yeah. put seven treadmills in here. And it's like, well, not everyone runs. <laughs> like, you, know, it's like, you know, you need stair climbers, you need this, you need that. Like, and so um, 
there, there's just sort of this, and then, and then they're there, and then you've already spent three grand a treadmill, so it's like, what are you going to do now? You're not going to take them out. Uh, you're not going to keep changing it. So residents that we talk to would rather, you know, pay 10 bucks a month or 20 bucks a month and have a gym that they can come to, that they can actually want it to come to, because where can you go work out for 10 bucks a month? Nowhere. You right. can't do that. Right. Like, that doesn't exist. So they're happy to pay. They're happy to, to, to know that they can do things, but but we're finding that residents like optionality and want to see a product that's an accessory to their, to their rent that is, you know, better or cheaper, not just closer. Like that's, that's fine if it's closer, but it's not the only thing that they care about. Right. And I mean, so even like my building, right. It has a gym. Um, mm-hmm. but my gym that I've been going to forever is also two blocks away. Right. So I've actually used the gym in my building once and it's, you know, it's, it's okay. But you know, and why is that? My gym is much nicer, right? There's like 18 squat rack, Olympic squat racks and, you know, everything that I could ever want, right? Um, right. And, but I did, I did hear something that I really liked the other day and it was like, you know, gyms are used by 20% of residents, but 90% of prospective residents think that they want to use a gym, right? Or, yep. or, and, and so then it gets into this argument of like, well, you know, is it a deal breaker to not have a gym? Um, but some of, some of our other prop, uh, partners, um, have said some things that I also really like about neighborhood amenities. And you kind of, you touched on that a little bit, right? Like mm-hmm. what about if we just had a property that was just near things and then, mm-hmm. you know, and then the rent fit a profile where I can then go opt into whatever I want to do, right. And not be paying. I mean, in San Francisco, Right now, rents are, are are back to being crazy. We we had we had like a one year lull, and now it's like poof, back through the roof. Into totally times, um, and so you know you, you're twenty five hundred to three thousand dollars a month for a one bedroom apartment, and yeah, it, it might have a pool and all this other stuff, but like I would much rather pay two thousand dollars a month and uh, not have any of that. Right. So um, exactly. So 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 it. Because it, you're you're 100 right. You'd rather pay two thousand a month and not have any of that. But then, what you'd also do, and I'm gonna I'm gonna move gears a bit, and then we can kind of go back to this. But what you'd also be okay with is, you know, maybe paying twenty five hundred dollars a month if the things that you can't control are provided at the building. And one example of this that's most specific to 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 the to the here and now for us in the Bay Area is security. So uh, buildings, building tenants can't do much about uh, a, a place where they live that has poor security. And it's one of the things that they don't pay much attention to in the beginning. It's not something that you think about as an amenity uh, to care about. But when your bike gets stolen three times in three months, guess what? You freaking care about security and you care yes. about what's going on. Um, if you're walking outside and stepping on broken glass every day uh, from cars that are not yours or yours that are getting smashed into all the time, guess what? You care about security. If uh, homeless encampments are popping up, if residents are getting in are getting past the lobby and walking the hallways that that are, you know, people who um, you know don't belong in the building and and are you know uh, you know clearly uh, you know don't have a are housing insecure, it, it's it it creates a, a strong sense of, of, of 
concern for residents that where they live isn't a place where they'll be safe. Um, and so we're, we're trying very hard to focus our developers attention more on spending money on the things that, that they can control, that they can build, that they can put in the building that will make residents have a, a happier, uh, safer uh, residency fancy and then offering amenities and services uh whether they exist at their property at that property or at nearby properties or at commercial buildings um that have uh the ability for them to do things in the community right so as a when, as a property management company they get the unique benefit of of working with you know all kinds of people right we have thousands of residents we have um you know, dozens and dozens of small business owners uh, that run their businesses um, out of the ground floors of our buildings and, and things like that. Um, we can do a lot to help support and encourage these small business owners to uh, market to our residents and help them. Right? You can you can come. You don't. You're not. A, you're not a runner on one of my seven treadmills. Don't worry about it. How about you come climb at the climbing studio uh, tenant that. Uh, is uh is you know a block away and we're happy to you know offer up some discounts or help encourage getting you guys in touch so they can offer you some discounts directly um i can't build a climbing studio it's impossible am i going to put the fifth foot climbing studio here right like it's not going to fit the buildings but it fits at the commercial building that's uh that that is across the street from my own office i can do that right. um and you start to think about like meeting people where they are and and help give people options to give them a better a better experience and and I believe that's the kind of stuff that's going to lead to, to tenants being uh, more inclined to renew, more inclined to stay, more inclined to um, just love where they live. Yeah. So, I mean, you, you did, you touched on something there that is also kind of one of the, the hot topics here. And when we talk about amenities and that is the sort of investment of like FFNO that you can actually get a, a loan against versus you know, get maybe handing out a discount that would be like marketing dollars or something like that. Some other line item um, that you can't get a loan against. So that seems to be kind of the a conversation that's happening is like, well, I can get a loan. I can tie the gym equipment into my overall sort of loan, but I can't tie, um, you know, a $50 a month gym expense into into that loan. So what, what that's absolutely right. So there's there, there yeah the, the the capex opex debate is a is a is a constant is a constant struggle that we we talk about with our property owners all the time. They're they're much more amenable to spending a hundred thousand dollars on a gym than they are to spending a you know fifteen uh, k a year on security measures. It's just it's just that that's absolutely true um, because when it comes to uh, you know the stabilized operations and expenses of the building these uh, these these things matter but my broader point was more that i i believe that residents um are starting to recognize the value of some of the services that didn't that were previously expected to be included that like security that when the rubber meets the road uh, they're finding out is is not there um and beautifully amenitized buildings that have pools and uh, locker rooms and uh, we work looking offices are you know sitting there un unutilized because you know what like you know the 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 
the target and and the sorry not target like 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 the the ground floor retail just got like you know broken into. Uh, I was like, I don't want to go down there. Forget yeah. that. I'm just gonna. Yeah. I'm not gonna well, and and, and so like. And the other thing is you think about urban sort of urban settings, right? So a lot of this research has come from, you know, oh, people want these types of spaces have come from suburban living, right? Multifamily yeah. in suburban settings. But for those of us that live in a city, like the reason we live in the city is because there's a million things to do in the city. Right. I don't want to be in my apartment all day. That's why I have it. Right. right. So. Right. Um, it's, it's interesting how much of the research has been influenced by sort of suburban multifamily development versus mm -hmm. urban multifamily development. Um, because to me, it feels like it should be looked at very differently, right? Like, um, you know, I, I, I personally am fortunate enough that I, I don't, I, I don't have to live in a, a, a shoebox, you know, style apartment, um, you know, like a 400 square foot studio or something like that. Like I can have a little bit more space, but you know, I, I, I truly spend as little amount of time in my apartment as possible. Right. Because there's just so much to do. I live in San Francisco. I have parks, I have beaches, you know, there's water on three sides, you know, right. uh, restaurants everywhere. Um, and so it's like the, it's that, that neighborhood sort of amenities, um, that I, I think are really interesting as you look at some of the larger developers putting putting in buildings in San Francisco that are sky rises with you know rooftop pools and you know an equinox, I, I saw a building that has an equinox. In the bottom That's of it. right. Um, you know, and, and things like that. So it's it, it's really interesting, and I think what will be interesting to see over the next maybe ten years is you know cross our fingers uh, the building permit. Uh, sort of process maybe hopefully changes here. Um, it'll be interesting to interesting to see what type of units get built. Like, is it going to be this sort of ultra luxury, or are we going to see more kind of middle of the market, or are we going to see sort of smaller footprints? Uh, what do What do you think? What if you had to if you looked in the the Rishi uh, crystal ball? Like, what would it? What, what do you think that looks like? So yeah, I I think that. Um... I, what I, what I think that is, is missing from the, the Bay area is, a, is more housing that can cater to an affordable crowd. I think our luxury market is there's enough people working on the luxury market, um, that are, are, we're, we're, we're okay. I think from a, from a, quality and size perspective at that level there's just there's enough there's enough product out there for what the city needs but there is a a high level demand for apartments that um can be can be built more affordably so they can be uh run and rented more affordably um i think that's really what the next uh the next five to ten years need we don't need more four thousand dollar one bedrooms. I just don't believe that's what's needed and and what's important. Uh, in and there's just enough. I mean, I'm not saying that people there's other market people that want luxury, but I'm saying that there's just we have that, and there tends to be a, a healthy amount of options for people that are at that price point. Um, but what there's not a healthy amount of uh, options for is people that are at that twenty five hundred dollar price point uh, that want to live near Bart, that want to live near Muni, that want to live. Um, 
without five roommates and uh, have to, uh, you know, rent a five bedroom with five roommates in an old Victorian. That to, to get to like a, a price point, like close to 2000, like that is a problem. That's, that's fundamentally still an issue that, um, that I believe needs to be, needs to be solved uh, by developers. Um, and what I'm encouraging every developer I talk to, to, to work on building. <laughs> right. And it, I, to me, that's not even affordable housing. That's just like, I don't know, housing. Like, it's not like, we're not like building it. For- you know, you call it what you want. Call it work. I mean, call it workforce. I mean, work. I, I'm from the Midwest in Ohio. If I, if I would refer to workforce housing as something as that costs $2,000 a month, I mean, I think my mom and dad would slap me in the face. Like, you know what I mean? Like, like that's not, I don't know what you call workforce housing anymore. In the my, first, my first apartment was $800 a month and it was yeah, a three bedroom. I mean, yeah. So, you know, it's, 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 a, it's, these are, these are relative terms, but, uh, what I what I'm talking about is is good quality safe housing that has enough space for you to to live. Um, we still have a, a strong market of, of young professionals uh, living here. Uh, there's more young people um, that want to live in the city than there are families. There's still more dogs than children, you know, that live in live in the bay in, in the bay area. I mean, these these stats haven't gone anywhere. They haven't changed even in the last couple of years. So. So catering to the young professional market is still, um, I think, really important. Um, I think I'm sure. I think there is a, a different market for finding ways to cater to families, but I, I think the, the higher order need is to want more young professionals to find ways to to live closer to uh, the urban part of the city and not feel like um, their job that might earn them, you know high five to low six figures means that they have to live, you know, in Pleasanton or in Dublin or in, you know, San Ramon uh, or something like that to be able to get something that's, you know, that that's, you know, closer to 2000 bucks a month. Right. Right. And it, and you know, it, it sort of prices people out that, you know, want to live in the cities in the first place or in that part of their lives. Right. So, um, I totally, yeah, you know, I mean, I think, yeah, and I think I think pre-COVID we had these. Um, I think I think a lot of developers had had delusions of grandeur that were propped up by the uh, by the tech industry's um, you know in office requirements. And I believe a lot of that's going to come back anyways. Yeah. But I don't believe it'll come back in the same way. Right. So I don't think that the the office demand will 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 exist in the same style where you have to be there five days a week. You have, the definition of being at the office is being there from nine to five. Um, uh, I think that it's better for, for communities as a, in society sort of as a whole, if you respect employees enough to get their job done um, at their level while finding ways to manage the culture of, your team to make sure that everyone can still do what needs to be done. It's hard to have a culture of a young startup company or, or a, a, a team within a big company of 50 employees in 50 cities. That's not easy, right? It's hard to, it's hard to build a team that way. So you need to have um, some of that in office uh, and, or, or finding ways to bring people together. That's important. Um, but does it have to, does it, does it have to be the only way that all of it is done? I don't think so. Yeah. So, um, 
So when that starts to happen, then you start to say to yourself, okay, well then where, where do people have to live and, and where could they live? Um, and the Bay Area could, could see itself slipping if we don't find ways to have more affordable housing to entice people to want to stay here and take advantage of all the wonderful things that we have to offer. Because um, it's still one of the coolest places in the country to live. I mean, I fundamentally believe that. I'm, I'm raising two kids in San Francisco and, and I'm figuring it out in, in you know, smaller spaces because I, I do what you said, Scott. I, I, my, my, my Golden Gate Park is my backyard. I don't have a backyard. I don't need a backyard. Um, and uh, I'm fine with that. But what I'm not fine with is, is that place, you know, being a, a, a place with, with, you know, needles that I have to, you know, move my daughter away from while we're trying to get to the playground. That part's a little bit tricky. Right. Right. And that, you know, and I, I think, uh, I think San Francisco is on the uprise. I'm, I'm super bullish on it right now. Um, totally agree. So I, you know, maybe it's because I'm from Northern California or whatever, but I, I, I think, uh, I think, I think the winds, the winds are changing here. So it's a, it's a cool time to be here, but, uh, we're, we're at the end of the time. It's been, you know, half an hour. We just talked about properties for, for a whole, whole, <laughs> Um, I can I can talk for another three about properties. I mean, I love this stuff. I, I, uh, this is um, it's gonna be it's gonna be an interesting next five years. I mean, I I truly believe this is a great time to be in the space, and and we're we're to be is hiring a lot of a lot of folks, and I think uh, we're just starting to see a, a lot of people find uh, great passion in this in this in this space, and, and a lot of great people, other companies coming in to start bringing their own, their own tech platforms like you guys and others that are, that are just going to make tenants' lives easier. So I'm just, I'm really excited about it all. Well, how cool is it to directly affect how we all live, right? Like, uh, you know, I think that's yeah. part of one, of the, one of the coolest parts about this whole thing is yeah. it's not vaporware. This is real life. So, um, Absolutely. But yeah. so thank you so much for coming on. Uh, Rush Kasla from uh, 2B Living, CMO of 2B Living. Um, but thank you. Thank you so much. My pleasure, Scott. Thank you all for listening to the show. If you want to connect with us, you can find us on LinkedIn or you can find our Twitter handle at amenitize or die. Thank you all. And we'll see you next time.